Thank you all so much for being here. You may be seated today. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always a privilege for us to be able to be together, for us to be able to take God's Word and open it up and see what God has to say to us. We're going to be in John chapter 21 today, so if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles and get ready uh, for John chapter 21, that's where we're going to be. Before we get into the Scriptures today, there's just a couple of things I want to remind us about. First off, today is Palm Sunday. I think it's just amazing what we get to celebrate today. It's Palm Sunday, which means that next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. And I hope that you'll join us next Sunday morning. It's going to be a great day at 9.30 a.m. We won't have our regular small groups. Instead, food will take the place (laughs) of our regular small groups. So come hungry at 9.30 a.m. It's open for everyone. Invite someone to come with you. Uh, Bring someone with you. Bring family and friends with you. But at 9.30, we'll get to eat together at 11 o'clock. We'll come into this room and we'll have the opportunity to celebrate Easter together. And so I hope that you'll do that. One of the things I want you to notice is just kind of take a look around. Look around the room real quick. Just kind of take a look around the room. See the number of people that are in the room right now. If we have what is normal for Easter Sunday, this room will be quite a bit more full than this. And so as the members and the, the regular attenders of our church, there's a request that I would make, make of you. And it's, uh, there's a philosophical basis to it. A missionary is someone who changes their location in order to share the gospel with someone, right? And so I'm going to ask you as a member of our church to maybe next Sunday consider changing your location from where you sit. I would say sit as close to the front of center as possible. Do it in a way that allows those who aren't normally here or those who maybe feel a little more comfortable a little further back, make room for people who aren't regularly here to have a great place to sit. And so if you would do that, that would be thing number one. That would be good. The thing that would be even better, though, is if instead of waiting for someone to come and introduce themselves to you, if you would practice what I call aggressive hospitality. If you would look for the person who maybe feels a little out of place or the person who feels a little uncomfortable, if you'd look for the person who is just kind of maybe they're on their own, maybe it's just them and their family, but you go out of your way to introduce yourself to them and just make some small talk with them. Just get to know them a little bit, share who you are, share a little bit about why you love coming to this church, ask them why, why, they're, uh, why they chose this church as their, as their Sunday morning home for Easter Sunday, and just establish a great, uh, a great uh, conversation with some, someone. It's amazing to me that the gospel and every great relationship The gospel in every great relationship begins with an introduction. And so instead of waiting for them to introduce themselves to you, maybe next week we could be the ones who are just great hosts and that we would introduce ourselves to other people. So I'd like to ask you to to do that. I guess the third thing I'd ask you to do is just be praying that God would do something remarkable next Sunday morning in all of us who are here. Because it's Easter Sunday morning, we'll have an opportunity to celebrate his resurrection, and that will be great. The other thing that's going on, they talked about uh, on the introduction uh, intro video just a minute ago, the Upper Room Experience is an interactive celebration of the Lord's Supper that will take place on Good Friday. And it takes place all day right here. And so you can register for that online. It's also taking place in Owasso, so you can do it there as well. But we'd love to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper with you. It's going to be in groups of 15 or less. And so you can come as an individual. You can come with family or friends. But sign up for that. We're doing our best to take as many COVID precautions as we can. But it's really going to be... It's hard to describe. It's a fully immersive, interactive experience with the Lord's Supper. It'll feel a little bit more like you're in the upper room than it will feel like you're in a room like this when you celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And that'll be a great thing. And then the last thing, just by way of things that I want our church to know uh, that you should know before we get into the message. um, How many of you remember uh, Shirley Lillard? Remember Shirley Lillard? Yeah. She has been a member here for 64 years. 
Isn't that amazing? I think we ought to just celebrate that. That's <clears throat> incredible, and it's absolutely worth celebrating. Shirley passed away recently. And her services, the celebration of her life, will be this Tuesday. The viewing is it's right here. It's at 10 a.m. And then the service is at 11 a.m. I'm so thankful for Jonathan. He's been really running point on that and done a great job taking good care of the family and the, and the people. And so be praying for that family. And, and if you knew Shirley, uh, you knew that this, was a, this place was a passion for her. And she's done a great job of just investing her life in there. And I'm so thankful for each of you. There's so many people in this room right now who for generations have invested their lives into the people of this community and this church. And so thank you so much for doing that. And if you're new with us, no matter how long you're with us, there's going to come this day where someone can look back and say, because of the way you invested your life in this place and in these people and in this community, God did something remarkable. And so whether you've been here for a really long time or whether you're brand new, thank you for the investment of your time and your prayers, your attention, your service here. It's just such a great thing. So thanks for doing that. Well, it really is good to see you this morning. Uh, John chapter 21 is where we are, and we've been in a series called Resurrection Encounters, and leading up to Easter, one of the things we've done is each week we've just taken one character or a group of characters from Scripture. These are men and women who have had this encounter with the resurrected Christ. See, that's one of the things that's unique about Christianity. We don't believe that we just had a good teacher that we follow. We don't believe that we have someone that was just a good man or a good example that we follow. We believe we follow a man who literally rose from the dead. And I don't know about you, but if someone looks at me and says, Hey, you can kill me, but three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. I'd probably laugh at that guy if he did that, you know. And I remember Jesus had some half-brothers. James was one of his half-brothers. And all through Jesus' life, James didn't really believe it. I think he just laughed at his half-brother. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And suddenly we have an entire book of the New Testament called James because James suddenly became a believer, right? If your brother says, I can rise from the dead, and then he does it, I'm pretty well going to believe what he says, right? And that's exactly the Savior that we serve. We serve not a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. And we know he was risen for so many reasons, not simply the promise he made, but there are so many people who witnessed his resurrection face-to-face and eye-to-eye, and they recorded it. And in Scripture, we have a recording of their encounters with Christ. And one of the quotes that we've used for the past three weeks, it's a Tim Keller quote. It says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. I mean, think about that a little bit. If somebody's going to look you in the face and say, hey, I'm going to rise from the dead, you laugh them off, and then they actually do it, you're probably going to pay close attention to what that guy says after he comes back from the dead, right? Because he, he was honest. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about if any, any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So I'm just going to pause on that one phrase for a second. Some of you may or may not be down with church or may or may not be down with religion. Some of you may have had some really bad experiences with people who try to wear the name of Christ. They just don't wear it well, right? You may have had some really bad experiences with some people like that. Well, the issue on which everything our faith hangs, the issue on everything your faith and my faith hangs as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ isn't your bad experience with another Christian. It's not your bad experience in another church. It's not whether or not you believe the Bible is true. Even though I believe the Bible is true, and I think you should, I have a thousand reasons why I think it's reliable. That's not the issue on which Christianity hangs. The issue on which Christianity hangs is whether or not Jesus 
rose from the dead. And he did. The fact that he rose from the dead is actually evidence that everything the Bible says is true. The fact that he rose from the dead is evidence of the reality that just because you have a bad experience or whether or not you like his teaching or whether or not you like what's happening in our world today, it's evidence of the fact that God is in control. God is God and Jesus loves you with this everlasting love. He did exactly what he said he would do and he's capable of doing in your life Everything you need for life and godliness. That's what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says. That God's divine power has given to us everything we need for life and for godliness. That's a pretty comprehensive statement, right? Everything we need to live. It always amazes me that, us, that, that we believers, that, we, that we'll trust in Jesus for our eternal salvation, but we have struggles, we, tr- we have troubles trusting him for the tensions and the conflicts and the bills and the, and the hardships of our daily lives, right? But 2, Timothy, 2 Peter 1.3 reminds us that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. What is godliness? Well, it's the evidence of God in you. It's the opportunity for people to recognize that God's done something in you and through you that really can't be explained because of you. It's the resurrection that makes all the difference. And so today we're going to see one more story of a resurrection encounter through the eyes of the Apostle Peter, which is why we're in John chapter 21. We'll read that in just a minute. But before we read that, I just want to ask you a question. And this is where this is where a sermon like today, we call it, We call it Palm Sunday, and we think of this as a celebration Sunday because this was the day that Jesus made his, we remember that he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but but I'm going to take the shape of the sermon just a little bit uh, a different direction today because, uh, well, it really starts in a place that's not very encouraging, right? This is where we're going to start. We're going to start in a place that's not very encouraging. I'm going to ask you to remember something for just a moment. And I hope that in asking you to remember something, that it just doesn't totally distract you for the rest of the morning. Because there's a place that I'm going with this. And it's the hope that we see in Scripture. And so while we may start in a very negative place, where we're going is a very hopeful, hope-filled place. And so I want you to just think with me for a minute. You don't need to say anything out loud. I just want you to take time to remember and to pause and to reflect on the worst thing you've ever done on the worst day of your life. Just think about it for a minute. What's the worst thing you've ever done? The thing that you don't want anybody to ever find out about. The thing you don't ever want to talk about. The thing you hope no one ever knows. The thing that you keep in the back of the darkest, deepest recesses of your mind and your heart and your closet. What is that? The worst thing that you've ever done on the worst day of your life. I'm going to change the shape of it just a little bit. What's the worst thing that was ever done to you? on the worst day of your life. I have friends who have suffered horrendous abuse at the hands of others. I have friends who have struggled their entire life with some form of addiction and it's just destroyed. I had had one friend who was really at the pinnacle of what people would think of as success and because of his addiction to gambling it crushed him. It sent him to prison. Send him to prison for a little while. What's the worst thing that you've ever done on the worst day of your life? And what's the worst thing that's ever been done to you? Not a good place to go, right? Not a very, ooh, glad I came to church today. This is very encouraging. This is, this is good. You see, one of the challenges that we face, I believe, as both believers and as people who maybe aren't believers yet, 
is, uh, is shame. I think shame silences us in so many ways. I think shame stops us. I think shame, it, it comes from a place of guilt. And because of the shame that I feel, I don't want anybody to know. And so there are some parts of my past and my history that just kind of make me a liar for life, right? Because I don't want anybody to know. I'm just going to keep lying about this because I'm so ashamed of it and I'm so guilty over it. My dad used to tease me that if I needed a bad sermon illustration, I could always use him. And uh, I've, I've talked about him a lot. And uh, you know that I lost my dad recently. But um, one of the things that my dad would, sometimes he would talk about, and sometimes he didn't. It just sort of depended on where he was, was that my dad was married twice before he married my mom. And in each of those relationships, he had daughters. So I have two half-sisters. And he tried to do the right thing, but it was one of those circumstances where there wasn't any opportunity for him to do the right thing. His wives left him, and they took the daughters with him, and and at this point today, I'm not sure, actually, I know that I can't tell you where my half-sisters are. And I know my dad um, felt an incredible amount of shame over that. He tried hard to make it right. He tried hard to do the right thing. So it's hard to tell. Was this the worst thing that happened to him on the worst day of his life because of a choice that he made? Or was it something that was done to him? I don't know, but he felt such shame over it that there were certain ways inside the life of the church he just felt like he was disqualified to serve is that is that you do you feel such shame in your life that you don't feel like you could possibly ever tell anybody about the love of Jesus do you feel like it would be impossible for you to serve faithfully not just in the life of the church but in your community does it feel like to you because of the shame that you bear that you don't have any authority or any opportunity to speak with influence in the life of anybody. Who am I to say? Who am I to tell them what to do? My life is so jacked up. How could I possibly help them in the middle of their addiction or in the middle of their pain or in the middle of their problem? How could I possibly ever say anything because I'm so broken, right? Isn't that what shame does? I think shame might be one of the most powerful weapons that the enemy uses against us because shame is not a gift from God. Shame comes from somewhere else. Shame comes from... God convicts us. He convicts us of our sin. He very lovingly draws us to his side. He tells us, this is... Let me tell you how much I love you. Let me show you how much I love you. And he draws us to his side. And then what conviction is, is when he holds us tight and holds us close. And then he says, and see this thing right here in your heart. See these words that you use. See these actions that you choose. He pulls us by his side and says, I love you. I want to remind you how much I love you. And see this right there. It's hurting you. It's killing others and it's killing you. Let me help you with that. Let me, let me take that from you. And then he reminds us once again, I do this because I love you, right? That's not what shame does. Shame and blame, they're related, right? They, it, it, shame just convicts. It doesn't convicts. Shame just condemns. It just hurts. It just stops. It just makes it so that you feel worthless and unvaluable. It makes it so that you feel like you can't possibly, can't possibly, can't possibly. And I'd be willing to bet that when I ask you, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Worst choice you've ever made on the worst day of your life. What's the worst thing that was ever done? I'd be willing to bet that all of you have something. And in that shame, there is the temptation to just stop and to not and to think that somehow you're disqualified 
for serving God, for trusting him, for following him, for helping anyone, for doing anything right or good. But today, in this passage of scripture, John chapter 21, one of the things that we're going to see, the most important thing we'll see today is that shame is nothing more than a lie. And you don't have to feel that way anymore. You don't have to play by those rules anymore. And the reason why is very simple. Because Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And so shame no longer has to bind you up anymore. And it's as simple as that. The question is whether or not will you believe it. It's as simple as that. So let's look at the scriptures. Normally we like to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, but we're going to read all of John chapter 21 today. So we're going to take it one section at a time. So rather than standing, we're going to honor the reading of God's word as we get through the service. We're going to honor it by actually doing what it says, right? Instead of just standing for that. So we're going to, we're going to read several passages of scripture. Um, John chapter 21, let's start in verses 1 through 3. This is the story of Peter, right? So this is Peter's story. And so here's what it says, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. So notice that. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that'd be James and John, and two other disciples, uh, two others of his disciples, they were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. That sounds fun. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat. And again, it sounds like all of my fishing experiences. But that night, they caught nothing. <laughs> um, I don't like fishing. I like catching, right? So I'm a much better catcherman than I am a fisherman. Um, but in this passage, the first thing that I want us to notice is I want us to check out Peter's story. You remember who Peter was. The Apostle Peter was the one who was the spokesman for all the other disciples. And Peter was the one who was often the first one to say the best of things. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember, there's that scene Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And everybody's like, they're all quiet, and they're all looking, pushing Peter out to the front. And Peter's like, well, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that is awesome, Peter. Great job. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. It's only God that revealed this to you. And then Jesus Jesus begins to tell them, hey, I'm going to have to go to the cross. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to rise again. And, and within just a few verses in that passage of Scripture, Peter puts his foot in his mouth. He looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, you got to... He corrects Jesus. Could you imagine doing that? Being the one to say, hey, Jesus, I don't think you got this right. Peter does that to Jesus. Hey, you got to stop talking about dying because that's not what I meant when I said you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> It's nice. Nice when you get it right and in the first breath, the teacher's like, woo, good job. And the next breath, the teacher's like, yeah, I think you're the devil. Yeah, get, get away from me, right? Um, and so Peter was that guy who very boldly would say right things and then follow that right up with just a foot in his mouth. I've been like that before. I'm sure we all have. Peter's also had this experience on the night that Jesus was betrayed. They have the Lord's Supper together. And in the middle of it, there's this incredible betrayal by Judas. But really, when you think about the events of that evening, all of the disciples at some point turned their back on Jesus. And as Jesus was teaching in that upper room, Peter said, I'm never going to deny you. I'm never, I'll be by your side this whole time. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop. And Jesus says, hey, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny, or excuse me, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me 
three times. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus gets arrested. John and Peter follow Jesus to the place of his trials and three different times. And with each denial, he gets a little more passionate. The Bible doesn't really spell out which words he used, but at some point he's cussing about the fact that he does not know that man. He denies Jesus over and over again. And at this moment, and this is the part of, John, of, of Peter's life that I find so remarkable. This is the fourth time that Jesus has his resurrected body, that, that Jesus has made himself known to his disciples. It's the fourth time. that So Jesus and Peter have seen each other face to face. Peter has seen the resurrected Christ. Yet right here in verse 3, he says, I'm going fishing. That first verse, after this, Jesus revealed himself again, right? Not the first time Peter's seen him. So here's the... Here's the thing that I think shame will do to you. It's the same thing shame did to Peter. Shame will cause you to doubt your experience. Some of you are in this church every time the doors are open, and I love it. Some of you, this may be your first time here. I love that too. I'm grateful. Some of you can't possibly believe that Jesus rose again because of the shame that you feel, yet you've heard this story over and over again. You've seen the effect of what the resurrected Christ, you've seen the power of Him You've seen his power heal people. You've seen his power bring people you know out of addiction. You've seen that power bring people out of the struggles and the trials of their everyday life. You've seen God provide for his people over and over and over again. And just like Peter, you feel it. You see it. But you doubt it. Even though you've experienced it. Why? Well, because that's the overwhelming power of shame, right? There's something in you that causes you to just doubt or to deny or to just not. You just shake your head. Because of, Chad, you'd never, you're just a preacher. You would never understand what I've been through. You'd never understand the choices that I've made. You'd shake your head. My uncle was just like that. I can't go to church. The, the ceiling would fall in on me if I went to church. You've never, you, he was a World War, or excuse me, a Vietnam War veteran. You would not understand the things I did during the Vietnam War. God could never possibly love me. Yet, he saw what God has done in my life, and in my brother's life, and in my family's life. He saw what it did in his family and his friend's life. He saw it over and You've seen it too. And so can I just ask you to put something on hold? Whatever it is that you feel, the shame that you feel right now, whatever that worst thing was that was done to you, or that worst choice that you make, could you just press pause on that for just a little bit to recognize that you've had some kind of experience with a resurrected Jesus. You may not believe it. You may doubt it. And I get it. But would you just put your shame on hold for just a minute and just open the door to the possibility. Just crack the door just a little bit to the possibility that what you've experienced in the lives of others because Jesus died and rose from the dead is something that you can experience too. Isn't that something that's, isn't that possible for you today? I believe it's possible for you today. And then John 21, 3, it says this. Peter just very simply says, I'm going fishing. Hey, I'm going fishing. Remember, Peter was a fisherman before he was a fisher of men, right? Jesus changed his calling. I don't want you to just be a fisher of fish. I want you to be a fisher of men. And here's what shame will do in someone. Peter was so embarrassed. He was so ashamed of his denial of Christ. He couldn't possibly imagine that God would ever use him again. And so shame doesn't just cause you to doubt your experience. Shame will cause you to quit your calling. Shame will cause you to quit your calling. 
it's amazing. He, I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go back to what I know. Maybe that's you. I don't know about this church thing. I don't know about this Bible thing. I know what my experience was, and it's been terrible. God couldn't possibly love me. I just quit. I'm out. Tap out. I'm out. Don't do that. Why? Well, because today, God's brought you into this room. And if he's got you here for this season, then it'll rhyme, right? He's got you here for a reason. And the reason is, I believe that our God is bigger than your shame. And I believe that anyone who can rise from the dead can take the worst thing that's ever happened to you on the worst day of your life, and he can bring healing to every broken space in your life. He can help you overcome the addiction. He can help you make right what once went wrong. He can take that terrible thing that happened to you or the terrible thing that you did or that, said, that you said and he can bring healing and he can bring peace. You know, part of what's tragic about Peter quitting, he quit his calling. He just quit. I'm going fishing. Well, he didn't do it by himself. When he quit, he took people with him. There's six disciples here. Peter, he didn't stop being a leader just because he stopped believing right? He didn't stop being a leader just because he stopped. He just stopped following who he should follow and disciples went with him. And look at how productive his life was as a fisherman in that moment. These are professional. They made a living catching fish. These are professional fishermen and they go and fish all night long and they catch absolutely nothing. You know, I think that's what happens to us when we get buried in our shame. We don't make decisions out of wisdom and we don't make decisions out of facts and we don't make decisions out of what's right. We make decisions out of our feelings and our feelings are being deceived by our shame. So we're a liar for life. We're avoiding all the things that might implicate us and the thing that makes us feel guilty. And so we just quit and we go back to the thing that we know best, but the thing we know best doesn't produce anything for us. It doesn't heal anything. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't provide anything. It's just activity. It's just activity without benefit. It's just a spinning of the wheels. I don't know, do you feel like you're spinning your wheels today? Maybe this is why. Maybe out of shame you've doubted your experience or you've, or you've quit your calling. Look at, look at what happens in John 21 verses 4 through 14. This is a longer section of scripture, but watch what happens. This is what the power of a resurrected Christ does in you and in me. Just as day was breaking, this is verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Which I think is a really kind of zinger kind of a question. He knew they didn't have any fish. He's like, y'all are fishermen. Y'all have any fish? No, he knew they didn't have any fish. No, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Every time Jesus tells them how to fish, I just find it hilarious because Jesus is a preacher and a carpenter. He's not a fisherman. And he's telling professional fishermen how to do their job. Okay, you haven't caught anything all night long? I'm sure no one all night thought, hey, maybe we should try the other side of the boat. There's going to be more fish on that side. I'm sure nobody ever thought of that, right? Yeah. No, this is the miraculous effect of Jesus doing what he does best, just making himself known. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he, he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, uh, but about a hundred yards off. 
When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I'm sorry, I said four earlier. This is the third time. This was the third time that Jesus was seen by the disciples after being raised from the dead. Here's the thing I want you to know today about this piece of it is that Jesus meets you right where you are. Jesus meets you right where you are, in the middle of your shame. He's not worried about whether or not your shame or your embarrassment. He's not worried about whether or not the blame. He's not worried about your bad decision or your addiction. He's not worried about your, your problem or your trial. He's not worried about whether that abuse that hurts you so... He's not worried about whether or not that's going to rub off on him. It's not going to rub off on him. He has, he has the ability to heal. And he wants to remind you of his goodness in your life, which is exactly what he does for the disciples. There was a moment in his ministry where this exact scene played out. They'd fished all night. They hadn't caught anything. And he says, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And fish showed up. He's reminding them of his authority, of his power, of his ability, and his love for them. And then he doesn't just remind them of his authority and his power. He feeds them. And he feeds them what? Bread and fish. Remember that moment when he miraculously took a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and he fed 5,000 people with it? And there were 12 baskets of fish and bread left over? He's reminding them that he's provided for them before and he'll do it again. So what's the problem that you're facing today that you just have a hard time talking about? How many ways has God provided for you before? He has the power. He has the authority. He's done it before. I believe he'll do it again. And maybe this morning, because of your shame, it's hard for you to see it or believe it. Maybe this morning, because of the abuse, it's hard for you to ever think that anyone could ever care for you like that. But can I just assure you, can I just say to you, Jesus loves you with this everlasting love. And it's a love that never fails. It's a love that never gives up. We'll just simply trust in him. Jesus meets you right where you are. He intentionally and lovingly reminded them of who he was and how he cared for them. Now let's see the last part. And this is the part where it gets personal for Peter. Here's the last thing. When they had finished, this is verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, there are a lot of different commentators who are going to say, when he says, do you love me more than these, it's the problem of pronouns, right? Does he mean, do you love me more than fish? <laughs> uh, does he, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? Do you love me more than this career that you have as a fisherman? There, there's some debate over which one of the these it is, but the, but the reality of the question is clear. Do you love me more than anything else? Is really the nature of the question. More than anything else, do you love me more than these, he said to him. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, then feed my lambs. So Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. Then Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Have you ever felt someone push on your shame? 
They found out the thing that you're most embarrassed of. They know. And they're just pushing on it. I think in this moment, Peter was feeling pushed. I think he was feeling pushed on. And right there, that verse says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. One more reminder of who Jesus is to Peter. And it's the thing that I hope that you see today. That the love of Jesus for you creates a love of Jesus in you that's greater than the shame that tries to stop you. The love of Jesus for you creates a love for Jesus in you that's greater than the shame that tries to stop you. You know, it's really interesting that Peter denied Jesus three times. And three times in this very personal, very significant way, Jesus absolves Peter of his sin. He looks to this man who denied him three times and forgives him right at the point of his need. And and it's not just that he forgives him. These three denials became three acts of forgiveness. And then these three acts of forgiveness became these three challenges. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, tend my lambs. If you love me, take care of my flock. Now, I don't know that there's any relevance in this or not. I just think it's funny that never once did Jesus say, Hey, Peter, do you love sheep? (laughs) Um, He never said that. He just said, If you love me, you're going to take care of my people. And you know what Peter did? He took care of God's people. He became the one that in Catholic history that they point back to. Now, this is very much Catholic history, but they point back to Peter and they think of him as their first pope. He was the one who began to share the gospel with the Jews. And ultimately, Peter lived his life in such a way. Ultimately, he lived his life in such a way that at the end of his life, at the end of his life, he's taken to be crucified. And he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified. This is what history says. This is what tradition says. I'm not worthy to be crucified the way my Lord was crucified. You need to crucify me upside down. But you know what? In the face of the suffering, in the face of the martyrdom, in the face of the worst thing that Peter thinks he did in the worst day of his life, I denied, he died because of me. I can can feel Peter thinking that. He died because of me. I denied him three times. If I'd have just stood up and said something, this whole thing would have been different. And three times I said I'd never do it. But there I was and I was challenged. My faith was challenged and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to say and I had every reason in the world to just lie about it and so I did and as I lied about it the lie just got easier to tell and so I told it again and it just got easier to tell so I just told it again and because of it the best thing that ever happened to me died on a cross and that shame that he felt it became this glorious story of forgiveness that we're still talking about today do you think we know about this because Peter kept it hidden 
Or do you think we know about this because Peter experienced the forgiveness of his Savior so thoroughly, so cleanly, so clearly that he would say, let me show you, let me tell you about my weakest moment. Because in my weakness, this is where my God is glorified. I had an undeniable encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And you know what he said to me? He said, you're forgiven. He said, you don't have to walk in that shame anymore. You can very courageously, you can courageously stand before those who would take your life and wound your body. You can stand courageously before them and declare with boldness that Jesus is the Son of God who loved himself and gave him for us. You can do that courageously. You can do that consistently over and over again. You can preach the word first and second. Peter were written by Peter. They're in the New Testament. And it all began because Jesus in this moment looked to him and said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Jesus made right what once went wrong. And he can do that for you. Let me invite you to close your eyes and to bow your head for just a moment. We're going to have an opportunity to respond. And I don't know what shameful experience causes you to think you need to doubt what Jesus has done for you. I don't know what shameful experience you've had, the one that has hurt you or the one that caused you to hurt someone else that would cause you to quit on your calling. I don't know what that is. But can I tell you that today, Jesus is saying to you the exact thing that he said to Peter. Hey, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Hey, I want you to know, I don't define you by your shame and neither should you. I define you by my resurrection. I died on the cross. I rose from the dead. Now you can be forgiven. Will you just follow me? Peter did. Will you? Heavenly Father, I pray in this moment that you would take those things, those shameful things, those hurts, those habits in our lives that have broken us. I pray that through your grace and through your love that you would fill those broken spaces in our lives, that you would help us to recognize how painful the shame is and not deny it, but help us to lay that shame at the foot of the cross today. Help us to recognize that your loving voice is drawing us close, saying we don't have to live by the world's expectations or the world's rules anymore, that we've been forgiven and now we're free. And because we're free, this thing that we thought as the, that, that was the worst of the worst has been transformed into this glory that is you moving in us and through us. And so, Father, would you bring forgiveness and healing? Would you bring peace and rest to the people who hear this message today? Would you do for us what you did for Peter and for those disciples? Would you remind us of your power and authority? Would you demonstrate your loving kindness? Would you help us today in your presence to walk in your forgiveness and to simply follow you? We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name.